When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At this time of year, we like to put together some best of episodes where we take segments from episodes in our library and put them together in an episode thematically, which shares multiple perspectives, insights, and thoughts on a specific topic. We have some of those headed your way, but as I was reviewing this particular episode from three years ago, I couldn't stop listening because the conversation was timeless and applies across coaching. I really enjoyed going back through this one and there were so many points made that I took notes on again. The title may have drawn you in thinking it is about playing an up-tempo style of play and in many ways it is. We talk about the balance between simplicity and having all the answers, but more importantly we dig into teaching your players to play fast within whatever offense or style of play you are running. So here's my conversation with 12-time state champion and an excellent student of the game, especially as it relates to teaching it, offensive coordinator at St. Xavier High School in Cincinnati, Ohio, Andrew Coverdale. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about what it means to play fast and how that affects your players and what you're able to do within an offense. And joining me today to discuss this is the offensive coordinator at St. Xavier in Cincinnati, Ohio, Andrew Coverdale. Andrew, always great to talk ball with you. Absolutely. And uh, looking forward to it, Keith. Thanks. So this is something you and I have kind of bounced back and forth. And I know you've explored playing fast before and you've looked at the different methods of doing it. And ultimately, you looked at maybe having to give up too much as far as things that stress a defense to be able to, quote unquote, play fast. Yeah, I I think, well... I think the first thing I would say is that and I probably mentioned this before in the last maybe 10 years of my coaching career, I'm 25 years or so in, I've tried to spend as much time learning, developing, self-critiquing my understanding of how I communicate and how the human brain, uh, how, how motor skills operate, how, human performance, all the kinds of things that you've talked to lots of guys like Burgess Conley about. I've tried to learn as much about those areas as I can, you know, in, in sort of an amateur way, nobody's going to confuse me with a neuroscientist. And so, yes, all of us to say is yes. And then the other thing I've tried to do or tried to learn about is, you know, we say things and uh, sometimes we say them and we say them so often there's truth in them, but, when they're repeated so often or just to face value, we don't always have a, have a robust understanding of exactly how you do that, whether it's play fast or be tough or all those things that we value. And, and, and so Mike Tomlin used phrase once he talked about being committed to and in the helmet and inside the helmet perspective. 
And as somebody who didn't have much of a playing career at all, I've always kind of had to work extra hard to do that and be really overly mindful of it because I don't have as much pure football playing from my own standpoint. It's required me to, to ask a lot of questions and have a lot of give it, give and take with guys at my position or, or with my, my offensive unit to find out what really connects with them and what doesn't. All of which to say is, I think play fast is important. I don't think anybody wants to not play fast, but I think the real conversation then becomes, okay, what are, what are the components of it and how do you, how do you help your kids do that other than say, let's play fast. And so uh, one quote that, that sort of started me down this road, uh, a really good friend of mine named Shane Day is one of the most remarkable careers um, that I've been able to follow. I met him when he was an offensive coordinator in the Seattle area at a high school at, at Auburn high school up in, in Washington. He is, you know, he, he has done the deal. I mean, he, he was an analyst at Michigan. Then he was an analyst for the 49ers. And then he hooked up with Mike Martz and he was quarterbacks coach for the bears. And he's been on the Redskins staff with Sean McVay and Bill Callahan and on the Dolphins staff. And, and now he's Kyle Shanahan's quarterbacks coach. And he's one of the most thoughtful people I know in the profession. And he said to me once, he, he said, there's an Albert Einstein quote that says, be as simple as you can but no simpler. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, and, and this is just, this is my headspace. I'm not saying this is right for anyone else. I'm just telling you how I work through this or about it. If we're honest about ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, our responsibility as coaches on one hand is to make sure in a, in the most general sense, we want to make sure that what we give our kids from a technique from a, a volume, from an assignment standpoint, not in any way inhibit their ability. Does not in any way force them to play with what you would call the conscious part of your brain, which instantly is going to slow you down and make you less effective and make you less free. So that's the first part of our job. But what the quote says, what the quote tells you also is that it's also part of our job to make sure that they have answers for whatever they encounter on the field, that they can make adjustments, that they're not playing against leverage, that they have the best opportunity possible to showcase their physical skills. And if, for example, in the name of simplicity, in, a, in, in the name of a very surface definition of playing fast, I have given my kids such a limited inventory of techniques or schematics to where they're constantly playing into leverage, where my combo blocks are constantly working into terrible angles, to where I'm constantly running routes into coverage, to where I'm constantly giving the quarterback nowhere really that's open, then my surface area of simplicity has failed me in terms of my job. And so that's where I think that quote is such a tremendous anchor point and really forces us to analyze, okay, what is it that we can do on this first side to make sure that we're not slowing them down, but at the same time, make sure that they're properly equipped. And I think that part of that has to do with being self-aware enough of yourself. Any of us as coaches are going to fall. None of us are perfect. As far as I know, we're going to naturally fall or naturally have tendencies of one side or the other of that line. For some coaches, it might be just, 
simplicity's sake, and they're going to tend to maybe leave themselves a few answers short. I would be on the other side. I need to be aware of how much volume I'm piling up, and I need to be hypersensitive to anything I'm doing that's slowing them down. So you have to be self-aware enough to work against your own tendencies, and I think you also have to be willing to surround yourself with people that you will listen to that are the opposite of you. And one of the reasons, in my opinion, I think he'd say the same thing. I don't want to speak for him. But one of the reasons that, that, that Coach Bob Beatty and I had such a successful relationship for all the years that we worked together is because he was so tuned in to execution level, to discipline, and the structure that I could really kind of run creatively knowing that he always had the big picture view that when it was starting, he would tell me and I would respond in kind. He was my boss, my boss, obviously. And I always felt like that tension made both of us better. I felt like it allowed me to go explore and expand and, and really kind of weaponize our kids to the fullest amount, whereas we were always going to play fast. We were always going to play at a high level execution-wise, and, and I give him a lot of credit for that. So that's, I guess, the, the start of the conversation in terms of playing fast. And, and the only other thing that I would add to that is I think if there was an, a magic number uh, volume-wise in terms of how many concepts, how many formations, how many adjustments, I think if there's a magic number, somebody would have found it by now. So I think on, on the first side of that, in terms of slowing him down, I think Obviously, there are there are numbers that can be problems. I think there's a lot more questions to ask. How many formations are in your system? How many run concepts do your do your linemen have to know? I think what are the deeper questions really underlying that, and how can we lay it out in such a way that we maximize our ability to to equip our kids? Yeah. Well, first of all, I love that quote, and I'm trying to think back to I think it was right about the time. I had been promoted offensive coordinator. So going into my second year at BW and you, you drove up, it was in the summer. I remember this, you drove up and we spent the, the whole day talking ball and we lost completely lost track of time because we were in a room without windows. And, <laughs> and that quote though, and maybe I don't, I don't know, maybe you had shared it with me at the time, but that quote that you mentioned became the very first page of all the work we did to overhaul our offense, you know, from that spring on. And I think I, you know, showed you at that point with the results of what we had, but it, it was that idea, that same idea, because we were coming from basically uh, an up-tempo, no huddle, 10 personnel, play fast all the time, call as many plays as, as you can in a game to, you know, trying to, to be able to do a little bit more. And yet at the same time, be very user friendly in, in what we were doing in our offense. And we were able to operate fast. Now, you know, we got slowed down as, as some rule changes, like, you know, when the, the officials then uh, maybe a year or two after that started standing over the ball when you would sub out personnel, but early on they weren't doing that. And we could get our personnel on and off the field. And, you know, we were able to overhaul our formation system. That was like, I think 54 words and we cut it down to 18, but in becoming simpler like that, by the way we put it together in, in blocks, we were able to do a whole lot more. So I think overall, 
the the simplicity part is very important. And ultimately, I think, you know, what is the right amount to carry? For me, the overriding rule was always the amount of practice reps that I had. I mean, very, very conscientious about how I would do those to the point where, you know, I created that Excel spreadsheet, which I know you, I think you modified a version for yourself because ultimately you have to look at how, how much can I, do I have to practice? And so I think the time you have to practice and the ability you have as a teacher, as well as your other coaches to teach the game and, and get these guys up to speed, I think is a big factor in that. But then also looking, I think I've been in many of those conversations, well, you know, how many reps do you need to get a certain play in the week? And I think it's all relative. And I think you you have to remember that there's a cumulative effect that the 20 reps I need in week one, I might be able to get by with three in week 10 and rep in the same play because now they've got it down and they know all the things that can happen to them. So again, there, there is no easy answer, but I think there's some things that actually help you figure out where do we need to be. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I would say a couple of things just to kind of piggyback on what you said, but also piggyback on, I guess, my first little diatribe there. Um, and I hope I didn't sound self-righteous. It's just kind of my headspace. I think we would all do well to remember. So like me, I'm the creative type. So I thrive on originality and newness. I mean, that, that stuff. I love that stuff. In the ditch, I tend to lean toward, I have to remember the the point is not to show how sophisticated or how much volume you, you have and how much you can execute. And the point is also not to see how simple, be how simple you can be. Neither one of those things are the point. And I think sometimes we make the wrong things at the point. The point is your kids playing fast and having enough tools. Now, I do agree with what you're saying. I think in terms of of kind of finding the sweet spot. I think there's a science to it. And I think you're, you're doing a good job of articulating the science, the practice reps and understanding. I also think there's a subjective art to it, I guess. And I think some of it comes from watching enough, being so immersed in your style of football that you've watched it enough that you kind of know what it's supposed to look like so that when to give you an example, to put a little bit more flesh on this, whenever we start out in, installing something, and this year I had a new quarterback. Uh, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. He'd had two starts, I think, in his life as a varsity quarterback. And so what I was very mindful of as we went through the first round of install is I was trying to find things that just looked really natural for him. Like we put this in. And it just looks kind of like, yeah, he's been doing that his whole life. That looks easy. There's a fluidity to it. And so I'm not this official, but I probably should be. I should probably be more Phil Longo asking what you're talking about. You know, Coach Longo has a specific grading system, and I think that's kind of taking the art and turning it into a science. But in my mind, when we're through an install once, I'm kind of looking at every component through three lenses, either one, it just looks like he's born to do it. It looks supernatural to him, uh, to, to the quarterback, to the receivers, to whomever it is. Two, it doesn't look natural yet, but it looks like it's something that they could, with reps and over time, master and be good at. And then the third category is it doesn't look natural and it doesn't look like it's ever going to be anything they're good at. 
And so with our quarterback, that and you know, we're pretty quarterback driven, but really with the rest of the guys as well, that's that's kind of how we built it from year one at St. Xavier, not knowing any of these guys until May. And um, there were things, there were route concepts that we'd never really featured at Trinity at all, that when this kid went to process them, he just came alive. And, and I would ask him questions. I, I'd say, Matt, do you feel, when we run this, this, and this, do you feel faster because you look faster? He says, yeah, I, I, feel like, I feel like I just see it. And so I think that's some of the, I think that's some of the art to it as well. And I think that's why, at least initially, I mean, there were years I didn't even install those, the, the concepts that Matthew really thrived in. There were years I didn't even have those at Trinity. So I think that's one of the reasons, and I know we've talked about this a bunch, but your initial system has to be big enough that it uh, casts a wide enough net that no matter what your skill sets are, you have enough of the things where they're just really naturally propped and, and, and uh, envision them well. Same thing's true for offensive linemen, I think. Yeah, we've we've had those years. I'm just looking at them where, because we'd always start with a lot, most of the menu. I mean, we might hold back or switch up an install as we're going, but, you know, we had our, basically our five runs or five pass concepts, right? Families. We could do a lot within those, again, because of the way we structured and taught it. But, we would start with those and, you know, ultimately where our quarterbacks could be would start to show it itself. And we would pay attention to what is number two and even number three able to do because we may have to use, and there was years where we were down to three and nobody else. And we were to wildcat after that, you know, so you have those situations, but then also write your offensive line and what they can do. And we've had years where, We'd put in the zones in the in the gap schemes, and we'd end up being one or the other. I, I can't explain exactly why they had more success in in one scheme than another. You would think like, oh, this is you know, there's a lot of similarities in how we teach it, but they just didn't. Some of it really would relate to the back and how the back could see things. I mean, because things open up distinctly different on your zone schemes versus versus your gap schemes for guys. So. It's that that whole thing, you know. There's there's some of this is going to come together, and you have to really be evaluating that as you go, and, and at some point, be able to say, you know, what are we doing with this particular concept? Are we going to keep getting it better because we feel that again, this just needs more reps with these guys right now, and late season, mid season, it might hit for us, or is it time to put this one back on the shelf till next year? Right. That's right. And that's where it gets tricky to not get personally. There's definitely such a thing, at least coming from me, there's definitely such a thing as getting so personally invested in something that you love something so much. It becomes like the, the uh, sunk cost fallacy and you just keep riding it and riding it, you know? But I also think that, you know, by having enough of a menu, so, you know, this was the first year in a long time, that we had been anything like a decent stick route team. And you would think stick is just like eating vegetables, but this is the first year we're really good at it. So you build your offense to to protect that core of things that you know you're going to be really good at getting off the bus no matter where you play. So we had a lot more stick reactives than we've had in the past. In other words, how are we going to defend the stick? And so everything becomes an if-then statement. 
based on the stick route because we've already established something that we know that we're we're good at. And so that's where the volume comes from protecting the things that you're already good at so you have less uncertainty and less unknown. And and that's caused me to have to learn a lot more football because I didn't, you know, we had never been a boundary fade flat team ever uh, in my life. But this year, I mean, that was that was our dance music. So I had to make sure that we could protect it in a lot of different ways because we were gonna we were gonna dial that dude up four or five times a game no matter what. So I had to expand my understanding to make sure that we could protect our best players doing their best things. So we started this conversation with factors or components which really go into this whole idea of what does it mean to play fast, and we spent some time here on formation and play and and really most of this on personnel those things aside figuring out as we've talked about here the the different abilities that your team has within those now moving it out to maybe some of the procedural situational game and practice procedures what are the the next things you you feel really impact this whole idea of play fast yeah, so I think and one thing I've talked at the couple clinics I've done this year, just again, because it's kind of fresh on my mind, it is the process of helping them understand not just the assignment, but but everything that goes into it. Because in, in my mind, you know, the the sense of what, what a, a Z receiver is going to do on, on play and how he's going to do it, I think of that a little bit like, like carrying luggage. And so the more I can streamline the luggage he's carrying, that, that is a way of helping him to play fast. And so there's so many things that might go into running a curl route from the Z position. There's, there's your split, there's the alignment and the technique of the corner, as well as the overhang defender inside of him and safety structure. There's the, the split there's the release, there's the depth, there's the relationship to the other receivers. And so that's all really good information. That's all important information. There's the technique you use at the top of the break. There's what you do after the catch to say nothing of, you know, is this third and eight or is this first and 10 and how does that affect the depth? So I could list all that and I could give information in the worst, the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is like, taking that information and, and turning it into the heaviest possible where he has to rent one of those, those smart parts just to execute a play mentally. I could take all those things and I could make him memorize everything that I just said, right? Against the cloud corner, I extend my split, I send release. Uh, and I could make it a matter of memory in a way that's very, very burdensome for him. And the simplest science, sort of the, the, the Fisher-Price science that I know is, that athletes or, or any kind of motor skill either comes out of the unconscious or the, the conscious aware part of the brain. And when you get guys in the conscious or aware part of the brain, everything slows down. And so another way to say that is the more baggage I load him down with mentally to do that job and the less intuitive I make it, the more I slow him down, the more baggage I load on his back to, to run that curl out. So I need to find a way to help him. And I think, I think Dub is probably as good. I, I think a lot of what Dub articulates is, is really a different way of saying what I'm thinking. And I have to have an A to Z process 
that makes it intuitive for him to recognize all those things in a moment and be able to react in a very streamlined way where the exact information gets applied, but at a full rate of speed. And because he's done it enough and processed it enough mentally, it's not 15 different thoughts that he cycles through. It's one picture. It's one reaction. So to do that in, in the name of, in this metaphor I'm using, to, to lighten the luggage load, what we're trying to start with is we're trying to start from an understanding of purpose and an understanding of why so that everything follows everything else in a logical progression to where it just becomes a single streamlined thought. And so, for example, if I take the goal of the play and then your assignment and then your technique, and to me as a receiver, that's three different things I have to know that's carrying a lot of baggage. But if they all flow logically from each other, if the technique just makes sense to me because of my job, which makes total sense to me because of how it fits into the goal, then I'm playing fast football. Then I'm just carrying a handbag, so to speak. So what we've tried to do and then what we're actually doing right now is, and, and a lot of this again comes from me being influenced by, you know, Mike Shanahan and all the people that Mike Shanahan influenced. We're teaching our guys nothing but defense right now. Uh, in our Zoom meetings, we are, we're teaching them what a, a five technique is. We're teaching them the concept of a force player. We're teaching them the concept uh, like, like Deb talk about of a hard deck and how all the things at, that happen at different alignments affect uh, different affect the other levels. And how we're teaching them the difference between a spot drop and a match coverage, that kind of stuff. We're teaching them what a, a defensive shell looks like. The reason for that is that when we put our first play in and we start to do our virtual installs, I want those guys to intuitively understand when we draw that fake flat route, why it's built the way it's built in relation to how defenses are going to defend it. So I want, I want all the whys to line up in a way that it just becomes one logical streamlined thought process. And so the next thing we'll do when we, and again, a lot of this comes from uh, conversations with Shane. I, I can't take credit for a lot of this. It's Shane, Shane's way ahead of the curve on this stuff. So when we introduce a play. We, we start out with a, a goal slide and we say, Hey, this is the goal of this play. We want to throw this flat route to a slot receiver. And so a flat route. And so ideally the player is thinking along and saying, okay, there's a flat route. Well, how can they defend the flat route? Geez, they can defend it this way and they, they can defend it with a squatting corner or they can defend it with an overhang that undercuts or sits on the route. So based on that, how are the, how are we going to build the routes around it to help ensure that if that flat route doesn't get open, somebody else is. And so that's the process we walk them through. And then we walk them through what we call roadblocks. And you probably hear people talk about, uh, constraint-based uh, learning, and, and that's really what we do. I know Will Hewlett's talked a lot about that. We just say roadblocks. Okay, what are the things that can keep this from happening? Well, if our spacing isn't good, if the quarterback's indecisive, if if we do this at the top of the route and allow him to undercut, et cetera. So they understand based on the goal, here are the things that can keep us from the goal. So now by the time we get to assignments and techniques, everything is an answer to the question that we've already posed. And so now their field experience, now we've given them 
a vocabulary and a framework for their field experience once they start repping this, that they know how to fix the problems and they know why they know why we have to use a protect release against an off corner based on his eyes and based on the biggest roadblock is the corner being able to play two for one, especially to the boundary. And so what we've tried to do is take all those things integrated into one intuitive thought process that makes sense and they can execute freely and really fast. So I, I think from that's how we're trying to structure it. That's how my assistants and I are trying to approach. And then I think the other thing, and this is really bad because as you can tell by my airtime, I've dominated. Sometimes I like the sound of my own voice a little too much, but, but the thing I've got to be better at is, once we get beyond the initial teaching and, and Scott Leffler is the absolute best at this, the head coach of Bowling Green now is it, it's all got to be quizzing and it's all got to be feedback from them. And I can't get very long understanding what they really understand and hearing them say it back to me and hearing them say it back to me in their own, in, in our language, not, not some other language with our verbiage and giving them that constant repetitive feedback so that they're internalizing it. Um, the book, uh, Make It Stick, was really influential from, you know, it was a lot of people. And it talks about spaced practice. I know it, it talks a lot about effortful practice. And the only way you learn things at a deep level and not a surface level is by having to retrieve it at intervals and having to work really hard at it. And so those have been the principles for me that, that we're trying to use to help, help our kids uh, play faster. Who's the author of that book, Make It Stick? Oh, gosh. Let me look it up real quick because there's, there's two of them. I'm actually in the middle of the second. There's a made stick and a made to stick, and they're both excellent in different ways. Let me, um, let me see here. Did my little Oprah Winfrey book of the month. Peter uh, Brown. It is Peter Brown. There you go. It's great. So good. And then the other one is, it's a, and I'm not all the way through the other one. And all this is sort of de derived from the Gladwell stickiness thing. Yeah, I don't have the author of the other one right in front of me right now, but they're both, they're both tremendous. Matter of fact, I think it was Coach Maddox that recommended Made to Stick. They're both great. As you're talking, and I enjoy <laughs> hearing you and Dub and Dan Gonzalez talk about this. I mean, three guys who... Uh, you come about it at different ways and, and potentially, you know, a ton of different terminology. But what I really like about the way you guys teach the game is there's a system to your teaching. We always talk about, a, you know, oh, we have a system on offense, this and that. I think really what makes something a system is how it's taught, how you do it. And essentially that's what you've talked about. I think you look at what Dub does in and you know, we were talking on the podcast uh, the last time with him, uh, just last week, about how he looks at the run game now with his with his R four system. Uh, then I watched a, a little bit on evaluating players on his virtual clinic, and I mean, it's just the the level of detail that he thinks about it. Yet he's able to make it simple, right? To 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 the learner, to the learner, and to the the coaches. When you look at it on the surface level, if you've never seen it before, 
it, it looks overwhelming. I've had guys look at his R4 system, his game planning system, and feel like, wow, this is, you know, this is, this is drinking out of the fire hose. Um, there, there's a lot here. And initially it is. There's a little bit of that learning curve. But once you understand, like, the method behind it, what you, what you, once you understand what it can do, not just for your players, but for your, your coaches, you know, because coaches got to make a lot of decisions on game day, very quickly and you know it's it's all about having the right information and how that's organized within your mind but all you guys have a system for how you look at these things it's not just oh we've got some really cool plays and all of you have some great schemes but to me the the secret sauce is exactly what you just explained here and probably I'm going to have to read that book but make it stick you know some of the premises of that that once you teach it a certain way, those guys can go out and get to the objective of what we've been talking about here. Play fast, be fast. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and people, and I think, I don't know if Bill Walsh was the one that said it of himself or if it was sort of his early, the earliest branches of the tree. Brian Billick probably said something to this effect that the West coast offense was never about red, right, you know, 20 scat, 22 Texas, that was not the system. The system was the entire thought process behind the installation, the way you taught. I mean, the system was the, the book that the, the five, the 700 page book that Bill Walsh wrote, that was the system. It was the mindset. It was the approach. It was the player development model. It was the whole thing. That was the system. And I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. It's, it's one of those things. And I, I think I noticed this, for the first time when I became a college coach and I was, you know, out recruiting every Friday night and, you know, had a different mindset as to why I'm watching that particular game. But, you know, you'd see on one side could be equal teams, right? You know, one side, man, they, they get it. They're, they're, there's something different about the, the way their players play the game, right. And the way these guys are coaching it, you know, and, and you look at the other side and you know, they're working hard at it. Uh, you maybe even know some of those guys, you see them out at clinics, you know, you know, they're working at the game, but there's something that's just missing, right? I mean, their, their playbook could be almost identical, but there's a huge, huge difference in how the team is performing. And I think a lot of it is, is that exact approach because everybody runs as an example, curl flat or four verts, or, I mean, we could put a number of plays out there, but why is it that one team beyond they got great players just executes it at such a higher level? And, it, and you can't just say, well, the, these guys are better coaches. I think what it is, is that there's some better methods that they have a system of teaching that really becomes the framework of this. Because when you have that system of teaching, you can evolve, you know, back to the beginning, you know, talking about not falling in love with plays and realizing what your players can do. You can evolve from year to year. You got a good structure, good terminology. You have a very sound system to teach it that streamlines, like you said, your guy's not carrying extra luggage around, streamlines it for the player. Now you got a chance. Even if your your players are maybe a little bit below the, the talent level of, of some of the opponents you face. Yeah, that's right. 100%. I mean, that's why, I mean, Tubby Raymond probably had it ahead of all of us. I mean, why have Wing T 
teams throughout history a lot of times outperform their talent level and a lot of times it's they just have a cohesive thought process that everybody understands how to operate within that leads them from one place to another and they know how to fix themselves they know how to fix problems within that world there's there's really no replacement for that yeah and even if you're not a wing t guy i mean i highly recommend getting a hold of tubby raymond's book the other one would be Tiger Ellison's book, The Origination of the Run and Shoot, which looks completely different today, what people call run and shoot. But how those guys really came up with a system of teaching things that allowed their players to perform at a high level. I mean, think back to, and I know you've read it, Tiger Ellison's book on the run and shoot. I mean, he explains the teaching system by showing the lonesome polecat. I mean, (laughs) people still use it. It's a gadget offense, but he used it for an entire year. But from that, developed a a thought process, developed a framework of how to teach their players how to do some of the things they then went on to do in their run and shoot offense, right? So it's, I don't know, sometimes I laugh, you know, we we sometimes feel like, oh, it's the system of play I use. And in reality, um, that coach could take exactly what he's doing and be given a different playbook and use that teaching process, and he'd be fine running a completely different set of plays. Yeah, that's true. I think there's truth to that. Well, Andrew, you've been on this podcast uh, a few times, and I know you listen, so you know the winning edge question is normally what I finish with. Well, we know that from, from your past one. But for this conversation, you know, in looking at, all the different aspects that we've talked about here and coaches could be in, in some different places. And I think, you know, the, the purpose for us is to get you to think a little bit about your coaching. What do you feel is the winning edge in, in this topic, in this conversation? I guess my encouragement just in, in my own with, from within the journey that I'm still in the middle of is I guess I would encourage coaches, especially coaches that are in position of creative control and in a coordinator spot, especially, but, you know, ask yourself which, which side of the ditch, which ditch do I tend to lean toward? Do I tend to lean toward simplicity that may not, simplicity is a blanket answer that may or may not leave me with enough answers, or do I lean toward to solve problems just with volume in a way that slows my guys down? And there's some brutal honesty involved with that. And then who are the guys on my staff that are on the other side? How can I empower them? and empower us to have conversations that that create that tension where instead of solving with a blanket statement about simplicity or solving problems with, with more and more volume, how can we improve our teaching process and how can we have honest dialogue with ourselves and with our kids about how fast are we really allowing them to play and do we really have the answers that we say we have rather than just blaming it on fate or blaming it on kids. That That would be, that would be my encouragement. That's, that's what I'm trying to do right now with myself and, and my staff, and I have a great staff. Well, Andrew, as always, great conversation, great topic here. It's always good to talk ball with you and look at things from a different perspective. And, you know, hopefully we're back to normal here as far as routine and we can uh, get back into things. But I look forward to talking ball with you again in the future. You bet. Thanks, Keith. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. If you are enjoying it, please head over to the rate and review on whatever platform you listen on and give us a five-star. And if you have a minute, let us know what you like best about it. It really helps the podcast and our efforts to bring you the best coaching knowledge 
and we appreciate it. Follow all we're doing at coachandcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.